All right, let's pray together. Father, you have chosen this place, this Friday night, to have each and every person in here, each and every one of your sons and daughters here. And so I'm asking you to do something that I can't, which is speak and translate my words, your word, to their lives, to their hearts, and to their minds in a way that could change them. And Holy Spirit, I think you see what I do, that there's fire on the altar, but we need your fire. And so we do pray that your fire would fall in every person's life and ignite in them what we just sang, a genuine love for Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, my family just got back uh, from a vacation about a week ago, and we got to connect with a friend that we've known for about 15 years. And uh, his name is Joey, and he's been a missionary, and I, f- I feel like he's one of those like real deal Christians. Like, he is about it. Like, he does everything that he can and gives everything he can for Jesus. Um, I feel like I'm a pastor, but this guy is like the real thing. Um, forever, Joey has known that he was called to the mission field. And uh, as we were there, we were just recounting everything he's been through because it was pretty insane. Um, We both were at the same church uh, for a long time before we came to New York, and then he went to the mission field. In 2009, that led him to go to India as he was exploring where God was calling him, and he and two of our friends in the middle of traveling around India had their car hijacked. And in the midst of them being robbed, he tried to speak to them because the dude knows five languages. So he tried to, you know, negotiate. They didn't like that. They took a knife right to his face and sliced up. And he and my two friends were running around India praying that they would find a hospital to sew him up. And by God's grace, they did. Three layers of stitches and this four-inch scar on his face that he now hides with a beautiful beard. But it didn't stop him. Because in 2011, he led a team to go starting in Egypt to learn the language and to learn what the culture in hopes that he would get into a closed country, a country where it was illegal for there to be a Christian presence, let alone the gospel proclaimed. And then the Arab Spring happened. And out of the Arab Spring, he was able to lead a team into Libya. And while in Libya, he established two businesses that were then taken over by militia. And then weeks later, two of his team members were martyred and killed. But it didn't stop him. And so that led him to where he is now in Barcelona. And he is now guiding and training over 200 missionaries around the world of what it looks like to face these same challenges and to bring the kingdom of God where it is heard the least. But then in 2015, he was diagnosed with cancer. God, that's enough, God, right? 
a rare form of cancer that only 5% of people who get it are below the age of 60. And he was my age, just had his third kid. And after two years, by God's grace and the miracle of medicine, he was able to ring the bell. He was able to be done with his treatment. And he was able to go home with cancer and remission, no sign in his body. And as we were recounting this with him, he made this statement. He said, when I came back from the States after cancer, he goes, I had the conviction that I was going to live well in every area, that I was going to live well in my family, that I was going to live well in my marriage, that my money, everything, even where we lived, I was going to assess it all so that I lived well, not just be on mission well. And it struck me as he said it, that it sucks that he had to go through cancer to get there. But there are some times when God brings cancer and crisis to wake us up. But as I was hearing this, I feel like what God wanted to say to you is, I don't want you to wait till you have to go through cancer or crisis to wake up. That you don't have to wait to wake up to the idea of living well in the reign of Jesus Christ. That it is not through suffering that you have to go through to do it. It might be, but it's not always. The the intent and the design of God was that you would reign in this life. You would live well. He also used the language of, I want my family to thrive, right? That's a language that we use. I want to live well. I want us to thrive. I want to be blessed. Like, that's what we want, And that's always what God intended for us. But what I want you to tonight is that it isn't just something that he intended for you. But it's that in Christ you have access to. That you have access. That God has opened the door to you actually to walk in and reign and live well in every area of your life. The question is whether or not you're going to walk into it. The question is not is whether you're going to live in it every single day and it's going to increase or decrease. And so I want us tonight to look at the question of in Jesus, what do we see is reigning? And how do we walk in that? How do we live like Jesus? How do we embrace what he has done? And to do it, I want to talk about the idea of anointing. The title of the message is Anointed to Reign, and I want to read two passages for you. First is from Luke chapter 4. These are the actions of Jesus that are recorded. To set the tone, he walks into the synagogue, and the opening kind of manuscript for the day, he goes to read. And he reads it from Isaiah 61, and it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set free those who are oppressed. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was the anointed one. That's who was promised throughout the entire Old Testament. He shows up and he says, I have been anointed. 
And he says, I've been anointed to live in a way that you've never seen that causes such good for those in poverty that they get out of it. Good news comes to them. That I can reign in a way that I can bring healing physically, sight to the blind, but also I can open eyes to the spiritual reality that actually exists. That I can bring freedom to those who, of you who are oppressed in bondage and addicted. I can break chains. When was he anointed? After he did all those things? No. He was anointed to reign. He was given the Spirit of God to go and do all of those things, and then he proceeded to do them over and over and over again. Because the anointing is not something that you earn. It's not something that you achieve, but it's something that you we'll try that again the anointing is not something that you achieve but it's something that you I was actually going to say get from God but mm. Christ goes on to reign in this life and do everything that it was said in the scriptures he would do. But he didn't just do it to demonstrate and show off that he was the anointed one. His very words are that it's better for me to go. It's better not that you walk around with the anointed one, but that I leave so that you could become one of the anointed. He says, I must go. So that the Holy Spirit could come upon you to fulfill the, all the promises beyond the Messiah coming so that you and I could walk as anointed ones. Everything that Jesus did, you were to do. Everything that Jesus accomplished was so that you could stand in his achievements and then go and accomplish them as well. I know this because the scripture says it. So I want to read from you 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 20. This is John writing, and he's talking as if to you. So hear it as a word to you. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know, I've not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. As for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true, it's not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. The question that you and I have to face every single day, if we believe in Jesus Christ, is that we know the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. That's our knowledge. Our intellect and our rationale says, when I place my faith in Christ, I get the Holy Spirit. We have to come to grips with the fact that our lives don't always look like it. 
that while we have been anointed with the power of God, we don't live in the power of God every time. Even though Jesus was anointed to the point that he could care for the poor and love those who are unlovable, free the oppressed, set them free, we don't always live as though that's possible for us. It's because it's not enough just to be anointed. It's not enough just to receive the power if you're never going to use it. It's not enough to be anointed if you're not also going to abide in that anointing. And that's what I want to get to the heart of tonight, is you're anointed, I want you to know what it means, and then I want you to say, what is it for me to abide in it? That I would live every part of my life, everywhere I go, as if I've been anointed with the power of God in every room, in every relationship, in every issue I face. That's what we need to unlock, because that's where we lack reigning in this life. So I want to answer the question, what is anointing? And then how do we abide in it? What is anointing? I, I want to ask this question because anointed sometimes gets mistaken for talent. We talk about someone like they're the anointed one because they're good at something. So that's not what anointing is. That's just talent. You're naturally gifted in that, but that's not what anointing is. So I got some props tonight. Um, because uh, there's a couple things that sit on my bedside table at home, and they are reminders to me. They're reminders to me of what God has done in my own life. This is a shofar. I'm not Jewish, and I will not be blowing it for you because I don't know how. (laughs) This is anointing oil. Um, This anointing oil and this shofar were used to anoint me when I received this call from our leaders to become the lead pastor of this church. Um, There was not a more meaningful night outside of my wedding night and my kid's birth. Disclaimer. And when you research the anointing and what the purposes of the oil is for, it's really powerful to consider. Because in the Old Testament, when we hear about anointing, it is associated with this. First time we see it, it's anointing an altar to make it holy and set apart, to make it distinct and unique, called different. We also hear about it just by used by shepherds. They covered their sheep as a form of protection so that bugs could not find their way on them. It was used for protection. As it goes on, the shofar and the oil become united as it anoints people. That oil was poured into the shofar and it was poured over the head of Aaron the high priest to designate not only was he called He was chosen for a purpose. And then it goes on to do that with the kings of Israel, the ones who were actually chosen by God. They receive an anointing, and in doing so, the Spirit of the Lord, it says, comes upon them. See, anointing is meant to designate this idea of God has chosen you. He's chosen you. He saw you and he picked you out 
He has chosen to protect you that nothing can harm you. And he has made you holy and powerful so that you can walk in the specific calling and in the holiness that he has laid out in front of you. It is an empowering force. And when this oil falls on you, it is hard to get off. You smell it. The good news is it's like essential oils, which is like Axe body spray for you men in the room. But the oil runs over you, and it covers you, and it coats you. It gets onto your clothes, and you can't get it out. And it's intentional, because God doesn't want you to forget. He doesn't want you to forget that you were chosen. He doesn't want you to forget that he's declared you holy. He doesn't want you to forget that he has set you apart for a distinct purpose. Now go and walk in it. And you have to make the choice to take it off. You have to make the choice to wash it free of you. In the New Testament, that same language of anointing is attached to the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit has been poured into you when you place your faith in Christ. To set you apart. Not because you were holy, but to make you holy to declare to you that you are God's chosen son and daughter for a purpose. He sets you apart to be a part of his mission. That Jesus demonstrates what it looks like to walk as the anointed one and never stop partnering with the anointing. You and I have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. And the question is, will you walk in it? But hear me tonight, the anointing is yours. If you place your faith in Christ, it's yours. It's not a question of if. It is yours. It is the transforming, indwelling power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in you to will and to work for God's good pleasure, full stop, always. But again, we have to come back to the question why the gap? Why the gap? between the life of Jesus and you and I and everyday life? Why the gap where when Jesus walked around, he carried with him an aroma of life that attracted people that they wanted to be around? And yet times we push people away. Why the gap between the love of Jesus that can see the outcast, can see the forgotten, and can see those who get left behind And our eyes get so consumed with a four-inch screen. Why the gap? And it gets back to what 1 John said. It's because you and I don't abide in it. We don't live there. We visit there. We don't live in the anointing. We visit it on the weekends. And so we check the anointing at various doors in our lives instead of letting it cover us and coat us and go with us wherever we are. Abiding means living in, dwelling. It means it is your steady state, that you are fully present inside of your anointing even while you are fully present inside of your job. 
or your marriage or your parenting or with your roommates, that you are fully present in that. Now, what John says is the anointing stuff isn't new, but maybe the abiding is. And as I've wrestled with this, here's what I think God wants to say to all of you tonight. You will either abide in the security of God's anointing, or you will abide in the insecurity of your own abilities. I want to say it again. You will either abide in the security of God's anointing, saying that's where I live, that is what is true about me, and that's what I am for, and that's who I am. Or you will abide in the insecurity of your abilities, of what you are able to accomplish on your own. And if you choose to abide in insecurities, you will see nothing of the anointing. None of it. Even if it's in you, you'll see none of its power. You'll see none of its transformation. You'll see none of its protection because you're not living in it. We can't act as if God's just going to do whatever we want and then not do what he asks. We have to abide and live with him. And to emphasize this, I want to contrast two kings that were anointed, one who lost their anointing and the other who stayed in it. And that's King Saul and King David. These are the first two kings of Israel. King Saul is the perfect example of abiding in the insecurities of your abilities. He is the first chosen king. And it says he is tall, dark, handsome, and wealthy. He is Idris Elba. He is Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He's everything the men want, everything the women want. He looks the part, right? But he doesn't have the heart. He looks the part. Other people tell him. But you know what he says about himself? Who am I? I'm of the least tribe of Benjamin and the humblest of the clans of that entire tribe. Why would, why would you talk about me? See, he was living and abiding in the insecurities of his own abilities because he did not see himself the way God said he was. And too much of our insecurities, abiding and living in them, is that we are living in old identities that we've embraced because of past actions or experiences or what people have told us, rather than what God says about you. That if he's given you his spirit, he said, I've chosen you. That means I love you. I love you. And I have placed my Holy Spirit upon you to set you apart. Therefore, you are holy. You're not that old identity anymore. And because he lived in the insecurity, constantly wondering how other people saw him and constantly belittling himself and his own identity, he didn't last long in the anointing. He did well for a couple years. But then came the time where the challenges were a little bit big for his own abilities and his own army. He needed to depend on God. And the Philistines gathered large armies around him. And then Samuel, the priest, said, wait seven days. Because we need to wait for the power of God. 
and we're going to do a sacrifice. At the end of those seven days, I will meet you there. Just wait for me. And while they're waiting, everyone gets afraid. His army is running and hiding in caves. They're leaving. They're criticizing his leadership. Like, there's no way we can trust you. There's no way you're going to do this. Almost to the seventh day. He waited longer than you and I usually do, right? Almost to the seventh day, and then he says, just give me the sacrifice. I'll do it. I don't know where this priest is, but I'll do it. And it says, as he's lighting the fire and the aroma starts to go up, Samuel walks up and goes, what are you doing? Didn't I say I was going to do that? That's my role. That's the role that God has called me to do. Why are you not playing in your lane? Why are you not living in your identity? Why are you not doing what I told you to do? And you know what happens? Instead of him saying, you're right, I'm wrong, he justifies his disobedience. Once again, abiding in his insecurities of his own abilities. He says, well, I mean, everyone was starting to abandon me and like, you aren't coming, like, you were really slow. So like, what's the difference? Sacrifice was made. He justified his disobedience. And I think many of us are doing the same. That when we live in this insecurity, instead of repenting when God says, stop doing that, you and I say, well, what's the real harm in it? Like, I mean, like, it really isn't affecting. I mean, the people in my life are okay with it. Like, what, what does it matter? And I want to give a very specific example. And I honestly, I hate that I have to give it. Because <laughs> it doesn't really matter to me. But there have been too many signs this week where God has said, say something about this. Well, dang it. And it's the issue of weed and marijuana, which sounds so legalistic on the surface. And what I want to say about this is it's not a matter of it being weed versus anything else. You can erase weed in the blank and just put anything else in it. The issue is that many of us are turning to weed for our spiritual experiences rather than turning to God. And the whole city smells like weed right now, so it's like easy for us to like get our own high, right? And here's what I want to say about that. that God's not, this is not a blanket law. This is where we go wrong, is that we make everything a blanket law where really God's talking to just a handful of people in here, and he's saying, you know that I've said to stop doing that and you keep turning it to it instead of turning to me. And once again, replace weed with whatever your vice is that you and I have been justifying our disobedience in and saying we are turning to it because it gives us these spiritual experiences, a transcendent feeling, a moment of relief from the stresses of life. And so it now reigns over us because we haven't found our security in the one who can reign over it. And so when you abide in your insecurities, you live out of these old identities, this old way of thinking, and you justify your disobedience, and the result of Saul's life is he's tormented by the devil. We don't give enough credence to that. 
that there is torment on a spiritual plane and there is consequences for our sin that leads to torment in this life. When you abide in the insecurity of your own abilities, that is the path that you will walk down. It is the end result. But there's another way. That you can abide in the security of God's anointing because, man, David is not too much different than Saul. When Samuel goes to anoint David, he's not even invited to the party. He's the last born son of Jesse. No one remembers the last born, right? To the point where Samuel has to go across each of them and then says, is there another? Oh, well, there's the young shepherd boy, but like he's got to tend to the sheep. Well, call him in. And immediately he gets anointed. Does David say, oh, but I'm just the last born son of Jesse, you know, and like I was out in the sheep and I, sm- I smell so bad. No, but like, no. He walks as God's anointed back out to God's calling initially as a shepherd boy. And that results in him having the confidence to defeat the lion and the bear, knowing that he could then walk in the power of God to defeat the giant. Because he abided in God's anointing not in anybody else's ideas about him. And because he abided in God's anointing, he didn't justify his disobedience when it came. He committed adultery, he committed murder, and he hid it for a year. And when Nathan comes to confront him, he immediately says, I have sinned against God. And it is his repentance that God delights in. God is unafraid of your sin. He's unafraid of that. That does not prevent your anointing. It does not prevent his power. But your lack of repentance does. And that is the result of him being able to stay in God's anointing. To abide in it. To live in it. To become the worshiper of all worshipers to write more songs than anyone else about affections with with God because he was the one who got closest. Because in abiding, that's the beauty is you get more familiar. When you move into your home and you live there for a long time, you know where everything is. You can see it even in the darkest moments because you live there. And God wants you to live with him like that. And so here's what God is calling you to do about everything I just said. It's to embrace his anointing. To embrace his anointing. And to embrace his anointing means that you are going to have to first release your old insecurities and your old identities. Here's how that's manifesting in you right now. God has told you to do something. He's even told you you're gifted in something. But you've taken this grand idea of God... And you have shrunk it down to your own ability. You've shrunk it down to something you're comfortable with. Instead of seeing that when God says, David, you're going to be king, he's like, sweet. I'll just wait till God makes it happen. I'll just stay faithful every step of the way. And some of you tonight, I want you just to release the belittling, limiting ideas of what God can do in and through you. You are greater than you've given yourself credit. 
Your Father is so ready to delight over everything you're going to create, over everything you're going to accomplish when you abide in His power and not just settle for your own. For you to finally say, oh, wow, I've seen what I can do. Now let's see what God can do through me. So I'm going to ask you tonight to release those old identities, to release those insecurities, to stop living in them. But second, I'm going to ask you to repent, and I will join you, to search your heart the way that David did, so that you and I can be back in the abiding presence of God without any hindrances whatsoever but to repent of your pride, to repent of your vices, no matter how minor you think they are or how minor culture thinks they are, but God is saying, I actually care about that in your life, that that's what you're called to repent of, what he tells you to repent of. That's what abiding in his Holy Spirit is. It's the spirit that teaches you, it shows you the lies you're living in and frees you from it. But there's a second thing Third, I guess, if I can actually count, is uh, tonight, if you embrace the anointing, it is that God is going to reveal gifts and identities and callings in you that you never imagined. In uh, 1 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, fan into flames the gift of God that you receive through the laying on of hands. Fan into the flames the gift of God you've received through the laying on of hands. That there is a powerful act that a lot of theological terms describe as impartation. That you, when you open up to the Holy Spirit, will unlock gifts and power and possibilities that you would not receive otherwise that can be channeled by prayer into your life. This is not theory for me. In 2011, I was invited to a conference at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. At the time, I had a really buttoned-up theology about what God could and could not do and what the Holy Spirit was all about. Some of you heard of this story, so bear with me. Let it refresh you and excite you again, right? You love my stories. Tell yourself that. I believe that the Holy Spirit convicted of sin and lead me to repentance. I believe the Holy Spirit saved my life and caused me to be born again. I believe the Holy Spirit could teach me into truth. And thank you for all of those things you can do, Holy Spirit. I'm good. And then I was challenged to consider that maybe God was more mysterious and powerful than my theology had limited him to be. So I went to the prayer gathering And before the prayer gathering, I walked up, and I don't even remember the person's name. I just said, I just want more of God. And he prayed over me, and I walked away. I didn't feel anything in the moment. I didn't fall over. I didn't feel shaking. I felt nothing. But I went home that night with the idea of maybe God can do more. And that night, Amber was um, just sick with a head cold, and and she was complaining about it. And for the first time, my immediate reaction was, let's pray about that. How disappointing that that was the first time. 
And I said, all right, let's pray about it. I said, oh, God, please heal Amber of this head cold. Amen. It was very theological. It was very eloquent. And I said, amen. And immediately she goes, whoa. And I was like, what? And she goes, it's gone. I said, sweet, let's go to bed. And I woke up the next morning, and she said, do you think you have the gift of healing? I was like, no. No. I mean, God just, like, intervened. He does this sometimes. You pray, and he, like, steps up. It's, like, really great. (laughs) But that's because I was abiding in my own insecurities. That I was living in an old identity and living out of old theology, living in old flames that were not the power of God, but were the power of my own mind. And then I finally kept testing and trying. And what I'm most sad about is that I didn't stay there, that I didn't go on from there to abide, that I can't stand before you and say the last nine years have been me walking around, cultivating and seeing this gift heal everybody in my life as much as I can possibly see happen. It's that I let circumstances rule and reign over me to tell me, not you. He did it once, but he won't keep doing it. You had a nice spiritual experience, but that was for then. Now you're just going to have to go on again with your own theology in the absence of the presence and the power of God. And it took this church and you, this people, finally opening up and saying, more God, whatever you want. To awaken back in me that the power of God could use me in a new calling, with new gifts, with a new confidence. And I don't want to go back again. And I don't, I don't want our church to go back again. The kingdom of God was never meant to retreat. It was meant to advance. But the devil and your own insecurities and your own sin will tell you over and over again, it can't advance in your life. It can't rule and reign in your life. And we need to tell him to shut the hell up. And begin to say, it is by Christ alone that I can walk and reign in the kingdom of God. And I've been anointed by the Holy Spirit so that I will reign in everything I face. It will not defeat me. It will not defeat you. There is more that God has for your life. So tonight, let's embrace it. Please pray with me. Father, I think it's very good of you to remove us from the place that we have lived so that you can change where we choose to live in a spiritual state. That the surroundings are different so that we could be free to embrace without constraint all that you would have for us. And so we have put the wood together, and we want the fire to fall. 
Holy Spirit, you have anointed everyone in this room who professes the name of Jesus Christ as King and Lord and Savior. Cry out within them that it is true for them. If it is not true for them, cause it to be true right now. And lead each and every one of us out of the lies into the truth that in your anointing there is a power and an identity unlike anything we've ever seen. Because let us be a people for you, King Jesus, that abide in your kingdom and for your kingdom so that it advances in our lives and in this world. We want your reign to come. Let us see it tonight. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now's your chance. Tonight, the way that we're asking you to respond is to go and receive prayer as we worship. I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to pressure you. It's not my job. My job is to set the table, to invite you to it, to see if you'll sit down and eat from it. And so if God has impressed upon you tonight to release your insecurities, to release old identities, go and do that. If it is time for you to confess and repent of vices that have had victory in your life and you're ready for them to stop, go and do that. And if you're ready to say, I want more of God than I've ever known. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm okay if it's him. Then just come back and let us pray for you. Our band's going to lead us to worship King Jesus because I believe when we worship King Jesus, he loves to pour out his kingdom on his people. So however you need to respond tonight, do so as we worship.